Good morning, good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday. If you are new, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And if you're returning, it's good to see you again. I just have a couple of announcements this morning. Um, if you would just be praying for Shannon, uh, she will be traveling to the Midwest, to Indiana and I believe Ohio um, this weekend. So if you know anybody in Indiana or Ohio near Shelbyville or Bucharest, or Buse, how, how do you say that? Bucyrus, thank you. Um, go ahead and take a picture and send that to them. Um, it is on her uh, social media page as well. Uh, but she will be traveling, so just pray for safe travels for her. She spent an entire day on Saturday up in Flagstaff talking with a bunch of ladies. She may tell you about that later. Um, so she is running on lots of coffee this week, so just be praying for safe travels for her and for rest as well. Um, if you would like to give to the ministry, you can fill out a card um, at the table out in the lobby after service. You can also text Shannon to 52014, or you can give online. Um, if you missed a message last week, you can also catch up on our website as well. We have our YouTube and our podcast right there for you. That is all I have. Let's pray for some cooler weather because anybody else really wanting fall? Yes. Pray, pray for some uh, fall weather. Um, but that is it. I hope to see you back next week. And please invite your friends and share Shannon's page with someone that you know. No. <laughs> I don't know. I'm crazy. I don't know. I thought I bowed my head like she was about to pray. <laughs> and then it got silent. I'm like, is she got, oh, is she not praying? I thought she said she was praying. Does this tell you what I'm like today? Oh, my goodness. So uh, first off... I want, I, I wore this t-shirt for you guys today. First off, I need to remember this, right? Jesus won. Um, but this t-shirt, this is a pretty cool story. If you follow FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, this is something that is happening right now. Um, and I've already forgot his name. Uh, uh, Evan something. See, I don't follow sports that much anymore, which is crazy because it was my life. But one of the guys that plays in the minors, okay, this was an FCA shirt, and he wore this and he got called up. And when he did and he was interviewed and all that transpired, the shirt went viral. People all over were like, where do we get this shirt? Where do we get this shirt? And so FCA decided, you know, they were going to, they, they branded the shirt because uh, you know, 40% goes right back into FCA here. And I love FCA. And one of the things that um, they have done, they've actually here in Arizona, I don't know if you know, but they started a scholarship fund in Zach's name. And so there's a Zach Hoffpower scholarship fund that you can donate to that sends kids to FCA camp in the summer, which he would go and he was a coach. He's actually the most famous for his dancing skills at FCA camp um, when they did a, you know, a dance off and uh, <laughs> the students, each team would put someone up to do a dance contest on the stage in front of all these thousands of athletes. And so all the coaches put Zach up, hands down people. Okay. I remember one time we walked in V's tap room in Vistancia and Zach and I are eating there and these two younger boys came in with their parents and we could see them looking over at us and they were looking at their phones, you know, and then they were showing their parents and doing all this stuff and Zach gets this grin on his face. I said, what's going on? He said, I think 
they're looking at my dance skills from FCA and they're showing their parents. And so sure enough, when we got up, that's what it was. So, but I love Matt Palmer, uh, who is over this region of FCA. And so he, he brought me these shirts to high school Bible study. And he said, hey, if you think about it, can you rep our shirt? Because um, that way people get, get on and buy these shirts because we're going to ride this wave of raising money for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is so important. So I wore it for y'all today. And it comes, I mean, it's so cute. I have the black and gray, but he brought me three. I, you know, I have one that the wording's yellow, bright yellow. There's bright orange, but super cool gifts, I think for Christmas, for your kids, your grandkids, because they're very hot commodity. Look, I got one back there. That's the ASU one? Okay, so Jesus won from John six nineteen, I believe. So anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd show you, but I'm going to put it on my social media and my uh, website. We're going to have a link um, where you can get these shirts. You can also get on FCA if you want to give to the Zach Hoffpower uh, Scholarship Fund. That'd be cool too. So there's that. Um, the other thing announcement is I'm going to go ahead and address if you're going with me to Israel in February. Okay. Let's just cool our jets. We're not going to do anything right now. Okay. We're, we're not going to um, say yay or nay. It is far enough out that we're just going to sit. But what I'm going to tell you, and, it, and it's awful. What's happening is awful. But I'm just going to tell you that I will not send money. Uh, Jim and I won't send any money uh, to Israel until we know that it is safe to take people over there. So we're just going to take a breath about that and continue to pray for all the people involved in that situation because it's a horrible situation. Okay. Um, and uh, lastly, yes, please pray for me. I'm exhausted. And um, Saturday, it was an amazing day in Northern Arizona up in Flagstaff, Northern Arizona Women's Christian women's event, um, but I spoke three times. And so three intense messages and then an hour question and answer at the end. And so to say that I was a washcloth by the time that's done, and then I come back and I start to study here. And so, but I'm going to tell you, I'm exhausted, but what we are learning I don't think I am able, I'm not smart enough to teach you guys all that the depth of this scripture is. And that's the point. I'm not. The Holy Spirit will do it. But the longer you meditate on this and the more connections, it absolutely moves me to tears in my office, the beauty of God's plan. It, it's unbelievable. When you see what God has done for the salvation and the redemption of this world and the amount of threads that come together to make this beautiful story, it is beyond what I can comprehend or even share with you. And so when I study and I write notes and then I go away and then things connect and then I go back and I put bubbles in my notes and then I go back and I see another connection, my notes are the biggest mess you have ever seen in your life. 
And I'm just sitting there this morning, even more and more seeing connections. And I'm like, Lord, today is yours because there is no way I'm going to make any sense. And so just pray that I do. And I just know that there is so much good stuff in here. There is no way you're going to walk out with not just at least one thing that just went straight to your heart. So that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to go through every thing in my notes and maybe not in my notes. And you have plenty to mull over as you go out of here. And can I encourage you to do that? Go on a hike, listen to music, be still, because what will happen if you go out of here and you do not spend any time being still with this amount of information, I'm going to tell you you're going to miss it. So please do that. All right, let me pray and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you, God, that I'm weak because when I'm weak, you're exceptionally strong. And this is the, the parable of it lived out is that this is all about the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you would breathe in me, that you would breathe through me and that we will be able to see the marvelous fabric of this portrait that you have painted. You are mind-blowing. You are a great God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love, but you are holy and you are righteous. And Lord, my heart longs for the day that you make things right and that we are fully restored where heavenly realm and earthly realm come together once for all. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how I'll breathe, what I will smell, the joy that will be bubbling up, the celebration, the song, the food, all of it. But to be in your presence, no longer faith, but sight, mm, I look so forward. Thank you, God. You are marvelous in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Where to begin? I believe I read um, all the way through verse... 13, um, where we talk about all the, um, the people who were at Pentecost. I kind of want to start there a little bit um, and look at some stuff. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And it goes on literally to lay out a map of the ancient world by telling you who all was present. And literally, it is like laying out a map of the ancient world from all areas of that time and that world. They, they were present there. And it says, but we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with a new wine. And remember what has happened. They have given themselves to prayer and to studying of the scriptures um, after Jesus has ascended. That is what they have done. And it says then there was a mighty roaring wind and tongues of fire came down. And so the noise, there is uh, this 
this great wind, which is synonymous with what? The wind, the breath, the spirit of God. And what they saw were tongues of fire coming down and then it separated on each individual. And we talked about, I think last week, the idea of fire representing what? The presence of God, okay? And, and we have... All through scripture, I mean, we know that God is a consuming fire. We see it in the burning bush. Where is that, by the way? Where does the burning bush happen? Mount Horeb, which is Sinai, okay? And from there, God calls Moses and said, when you free my people, you bring them back to this place. Do you remember that? And then when he did, um, we have the fire come down on the mountain when they receive the law. We have the fire go from the mountain into the tabernacle, um, which represents what? The presence of God, the earthly realm coming down to the earthly. And we see that with fire. He leads them uh, through the wilderness by the, the fire by day, I mean, the cloud by day and the fire by night. And so it is basically temple language. Okay. This is what it is. And what is that by the way? Temple language. When I say temple, it is the heavenly realm overlapping with the earthly. God's space and earthly space coming together. That, that is what the temple was. Do you recall? And so they see this, that it now comes down on the individuals, this tongues of fire, and it splits into the individuals. And so we have this idea, right, that we are seeing that they are becoming the temple of God. And we're going to expand on that. But we see it. And we talked about, too, that this is so amazing because you see this unifying situation, but yet there is still diversity. Do you remember us talking about that? Did we talk about that last week? Me and y'all's faces tell me nothing, <laughs> right? Tells me nothing. <laughs> they come down, and, and do you remember me saying it was uh, the redemption of Babel? Do you recall that, right? At the Tower of Babel, right, you have man creating an empire to make a name for themselves, working their way to the heavenlies, reaching the heavenlies by a temple, and they are building an earthly kingdom on the oppression of the innocent, and God comes down and does what? He confuses their languages, and by confusing their languages, he spreads them out into the nations. And so language was used to disperse, right? To separate. And it was also used to slow down the depravity of man, of, of wickedness. I've said to you before, what did Hitler want to do? Okay, he wanted to annihilate all the, the Jewish people and more, but especially the Jewish people. Well, I would ask my students back in the day, well, why did he not, why was he able to complete that? Well, one of the reasons, because the United States and her allies stopped him. One nation policing another nation. So no longer one nation of people, one language, one culture under one wicked leader. God said, my goodness, if they can do this, there's nothing who can stop them. There is nothing that cannot happen. And so he used language to divide and to make the nation slowing that down. 
and the nations were born. And then remember, he chooses Abram as his nation and through Abraham and through a covenant relationship with God, his spirit is now going to be with the nation of Israel and they will be a blessing to all nations. We know that the fruition of that is Jesus, but it also means that the only way they could be a blessing to the nations is to live out this covenant relationship. And what is it like? Well, it looked like the Ten Commandments. And you have this picture. Well, at Pentecost, it is the redemption of this. I want you to see that. Because I want you to think about this. Who is present? Every Jewish person from the entire map of the ancient world, okay? So I want you to understand it is diverse in ethnicity, but it is, no, it is diverse in culture, but it is mono in ethnicity. So they're from every nation, but they are all Jews. Okay, that's huge. They're from every nation. They're going to be able to reach every nation, but yet they are all Jews. And so what you see here is actually pretty amazing because what you're seeing is really the, in many ways, the restoration of Israel, okay? Calling them all back. Think about the beauty of this. Pentecost was one of the three pilgrimage feasts, correct? It drew people from all nations to come here and to worship the Lord. These Jewish people were called to come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to experience Pentecost. So what happened in the time of the Assyrians when we have them come in and scatter the nations of Israel, which was like a judgment? Does this sound familiar at all? Yes, do you remember all of the beasts that would roll? Okay, Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Well, the Assyrians came in and they conquered, if you remember, the 10 northern tribes and they scattered them all over the known world. And God had said that he used the Assyrians as a judgment on the people for their sinful rebellion, that he allowed the Assyrians to do what they do, to come in as a judgment and it was scattered. But then look at the redemption of it. Because the Jewish people were scattered all over the empire, remaining Jew, now coming back together on this pilgrimage holiday. They are all now there when Pentecost happens in front of the 12, which symbolically represent what? The 12 tribes of Israel, when they ask, when are you going to restore Israel? Part of this they are seeing right now to where these 12 are there, all people from all nations, all different cultures, but one ethnicity, one Jewish, because through the Jewish nation, all nations will be blessed. And they are all there. And what we're gonna see is that instead of now pilgriming to come to a temple to worship God, what is happening? The spirit of God is no longer going to be in a temple made by the, the hands of man 
what is it? What does Ezekiel 7 say? I'm going to bring the bones back together. But they're going to be dead until what? Until the spirit of God is breathed into them and they are made alive and they will become a great army. You are watching this happen at Pentecost. The redemption of even judgment, bringing back all the different uh, cultures of the Jewish people right there on the southern steps of the temple using the 12 you're going to see the tongues of fire come down and they're praising God and testifying and they are hearing it in every language so that they can receive Christ, be saved and do what? Take that message as temples back to the entire map of the world. This is beautiful. The beginning of what we're going to see as the last days or the days of the church from the time that Jesus comes, pours out his spirit until the last day where eventually God will do what? Heaven and earth will finally come back together. And it is a beautiful thing. So we are seeing um, really the regathering of Israel right there and the spirit poured out and we're seeing the redemption of Babel bringing all things together, not necessarily dividing, but uniting in the spirit. Only God can unite and keep diversity. Look all through our history. Anytime we try to bring unity amongst the people, one people group gets subjugated or oppressed. We, we make them like us. I think I've used over and over the um, example of the Native Americans. We dressed them like Westerners. We educated them like Westerners. We were getting rid of their distinct nations. But look here, this is not what happens. He brings them back together, united in Christ Jesus, united in one spirit, but keeping the diversity of the nations because all nations will be blessed. And in the end, it says that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. And it is a beautiful thing. When they hear this, they, they're like, how is this possible, right? How is this possible? These are Galileans. Now, I get tickled by that because basically I'm Southern, okay? And Southern people at time, we don't sound so smart a lot, all right? So in other words, there, I mean, the Galileans, remember when Peter was warming his hands and they ended up denying Jesus and they're like, oh no, we know you're Galilean. Like, we can tell. We can tell by your dialect, how you speak. And they're, it's basically, they're backwards. They're uneducated. Um, although we are educated in Arkansas. We don't sound educated sometimes, but we are, okay? But that is the point, all right? And so here they are, and they're speaking um, in every language, all right? Is the miracle the fact that they're speaking in that tongue or it's being heard in their tongue? Both. The point is they are communicating where all nations can hear. And the other point is this. Yes, there is a great commotion. This is terrifying. Don't, don't let it go over your head. Tongues of fire are coming down. 
Okay, if a tongue of fire was coming down, I would hope you would tackle me and get me out of the way of it. I mean, that's, it is like, this is a deal. And the sound that they heard, it is a commotion. But listen, it's not chaos. There is absolute clarity. Do you understand that? It's a great commotion that is going on, but it's not chaos. The message is clear. That's the point. It's clear to everyone who is hearing the praises of what Jesus is and what has been done. How in the world did we turn tongues and those things into not just a commotion, but absolute chaos where there's no clarity? The point here is that there is a message and it is clear and they were wanting every person in their own language to hear it. And so that is what this is about. Um, I, we don't see that used well today. Okay, uh, people ask me, you know, I, I remember, I think I told y'all a story a while back when Hillary was coming back to the Lord, how one day she just called me and said, mom, what do you think about the gifts? right? And I was at Cheesecake Factory with my friends. And I go, the gifts, what are you talking about? Like speaking in tongues, healing, that kind of stuff. And she said, yeah, what do you think about that? And I went off on this doctrinal thing with her about tongues. And, and it was hilarious because I get off the phone and my friends are like, well, what was that about? I said, well, I'm going to tell you what that was about. That was the sound of Hillary Hoffpower coming back to Jesus. And I said, and I don't care if she's singing Shamalama Ding Dong. I said, we're on our way back. Okay. But the point is this, right? What we see today with this babble and commotion, right, is any gift that has been given, and you see it right here, is not for chaos and commotion. It's to be given a clear word to the body of Christ to edify the body of Christ. And here they were edifying who Jesus was and declaring praises for what he had done. The fact that he was the Messiah, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the throne at the right hand of God the Father. This is the message. And it was clearly understood. And today, somehow we have created this idea of speaking in tongues as this babble when it is not being used correctly, because when is the last time you saw a clear message coming out of that kind of babble? Do I think it is a gift? It's a gift because I can't find in scripture anywhere it says it's been taken away. It can be used when necessary. I just have not seen it used well. And I've seen it create a lot of division and a lot of, uh, honestly, fear in generations because there is no clear message as to what is going on. And I don't appreciate it when people act like it is the plumb line for spirituality as if the only evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak in tongues because there are other verses we need to con consider. How about Romans 5.5? 5, 5? God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. One of the greatest evidences of the Holy Spirit is what? A great love that is unexplainable. What about Ephesians 5, 18 through 20? Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. One of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit is what? 
love, music, melodies coming out. Yesterday, I, I was studying. I saw such great things. I mean, I turned on music at one point, and, and Rob was home, and he was like, oh my gosh, like I was jamming on that side of the house. It was like, I will rise in confidence. I was rise in confidence. I will see your goodness, Lord, in the land I'm living in. And no matter where I go, and no matter where I've been, I will see I mean, don't y'all get like that? I'm, I was jamming out. The next minute, I'm singing something else, and I'm sobbing. It is the idea of being filled with it to overflow is what comes out. There's not one evidence of that. And especially, I'm declaring the praises of the Lord in a clear way. So if that is still being used today, there needs to be a clear prophetic message that is to edify the body. And the heavenly language that is referred to, that is a personal thing. And I'll be honest with you, I have not experienced it. I do not have that, but I have experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit and many other ways. And so I don't think we need to be charismaniacs where we're jumping up and down and holy laughter. And I could show you video after video and I'm like, really? That is what they got out of Pentecost? The message is the thing that made me turn up the music, the clarity of that message of who he is and the praises and what is happening, that he is restoring Israel. And right there on the southern steps, all the nations, the Jewish people that have been scattered in the great dysphoria have come back. And now the 12, the new 12, the new Israel is now preaching in every language so that they can hear. And the tongues of fire, the presence of God is coming down and they are becoming the temples of God. In us, the heavenly and the earthly come together. So now we go out as the temples of God to preach the word of God. That has nothing to do with holy laughter, taking off your socks, swinging them, jumping up and down, dancing and showing all that. There is a message. It is the truth. It is that that comes out in us and it's, it's expressed in a great love and in song and in speech and all of our gifts to be edifying the body and to be praising the Lord. To me, that is what is exciting. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, when we come to know Jesus, we are marked by the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit right there. We are marked. We are sealed. We have the mark of the Spirit. That mark is not taken away. And so it is evident. So the seal, the mark of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, it happens upon our belief, calling out on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. And we are filled with that Spirit. We are made alive in Christ Jesus. That's what Nicodemus is talking about. To be born again, we are made alive. It is life and death. That is what it is. And then we decide how much we lean into the heavenly to be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh because we have the ability to grieve him, to shut him up. And I'm gonna tell you what, 
It takes stillness, spending time with him, leaning into that spirit. Man, I can tell when I spend time and I can tell when I don't. How about you? When I am empty, right? I get needy. Anybody else? Yeah? You know, I get needy about other things. And if, if you're uh, married, at times we get needy and we think what? This man ought to be able to fill up all my needs. Because in my head, I've laid out a game plan of what he should be doing. He should know these things. He should know I'm tired. I've given out. I need to hear how wonderful I am and how cute I am and how precious I am. I need to be wined and dined a little bit. I need you to change the oil in my Bronco. I need all this. And we have this game plan in there because, you know, we need, we need. I'm just being funny, but I'm not being funny too. I mean, I, where we seek it from other, other things and, and we know we've got to lean in. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour, which is about nine o'clock in the morning. Like It's 9 a.m., people. Bars aren't even open. Really? But this is what was uttered through Joel. Okay, now I, I want you to... Put, if you're reading along in your Bible, I prefer the King James in this because what it says is, but this is that which was uttered. So I like that wording because it is saying what you're seeing right here, this is that. Okay, and then he's going to go back to Joel. This what you're seeing, I'm pointing back, is that, that Joel was describing and he goes on, he says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What, what does that mean, by the way, before we move on? It means, okay, know God intimately like a prophet, and it means speak his word faithfully. Know God intimately, and to speak his word faithfully. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I want you to understand, here is the kicker. Here is the sermon. And man, this is the first sermon ever recorded. And it is sweet. And I'm going to tell you, who is it given by? Peter. Peter. All right. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22? Let me remind you. It says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like what? Wheat. But I've prayed for you. And it says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What do we know? 
He's going to betray Jesus three times. Deny him, not betray him. Deny Jesus. Y'all catch me when I say crazy things like this. This is on video. <laughs> He's going to deny him. He's going to see the look on Jesus' face when he does. It makes me sick to my stomach. I don't think it was a harsh look. I think it was a loving look. And it says, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Oh, he weeps. Then he's hanging out with John all the time. John strengthening Peter, I believe. And then we know because uh, the disciples say it, that Jesus appeared individually to Peter. They worked out their stuff. But Peter kept getting in the boat. I mean, he kept getting back in the boat and doing his old job. And so Jesus restored him to his calling by saying, you've gotten back in the boat three times. I've called you to be a fisher of men. Do you love me? Okay, feed my sheep. And so here you have Peter now, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, stepping up in his leadership role. And he gives this amazing sermon. This sermon is fully grounded on Old Testament scripture. Why? This is what they knew. They knew the scripture. He is using evidence in his sermon to tell them who Jesus was, that he has risen from the dead, and that he has ascended up to the right hand of the Father. He is showing them the evidence of what has happened because they're wondering what has happened. Um, we know that, think about it, Jesus has appeared and what has been going on. He taught the men on the road to Emmaus, and how did he teach them? By taking them back through Moses and the prophets and all of scripture. For 40 days, what did Jesus do with the disciples? They had seminary. He showed them how he was the fulfillment through all the scripture for 40 days. They studied that and they began to see it. And then after he was risen, uh, ascended to heaven, they dedicated them to prayer. And what scriptures do you think they were searching? The Psalms, they teach them how to pray. All the prophets, they are looking, they're going back to all of those references and they're studying and they're waiting and they're seeing. It's interesting to me how in our day, boy, it's changed. In our day, we get one scripture and what? Like three points. Very little scripture and three points. And I'm not slamming our pastors. We do this because what do we know about this generation? We're the most biblically illiterate generation, well, I've ever seen in my lifetime. And so these people knew the scripture. They knew it front and back, and so he used what they knew. Today, not only do we only choose one scripture and we put three points, because that's as long as we can pay attention, to be quite honest. Boyce says this, in Spurgeon's day, which was about a hundred or more years ago, there were four-point sermons. Then, to be quite honest, if you go back to the Puritans, if you research that, you know how many points were in their sermons? 
about 12. Because back then, people could actually listen and they, learned, they knew how to think. It was important. Do you understand how dumbed down we are? I think sometimes that's why I get so stressed to teach high school. Because I have to realize, okay, what one thing can I say? And how long can I possibly, and I'm good at it, but I'm exhausted. Because I feel like, how long can I hold their attention? Are you kidding me? Get the phones out of the hands of your children. Stop it. We're teaching them to be entertained in five little minute sections. I can hardly teach our high schoolers because they're so used to just being entertained 24-7. They can't think. They can't be bored. They can't do anything. Stop it. Pull that mess away and let's get back to some academia to some learning, to some thinking, to some questioning, to deep things. Because here, I mean, he went back to their scriptures because they knew the scripture. Peter here actually has three texts and he expounds on them. But remember this, how did the Jewish people read their scripture? It was a narrative. It was a story. I think sometimes, you know, when people say, oh, Shannon, uh, you know, you're a good teacher, blah, 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 blah. No, what I am is I'm a good storyteller. That's what I am. I'm good at taking the over, I'm, the deep theology and the connections and I can weave it together and I can tell it to you in a story. And then it makes sense to you. Because you know why? We were trained as children to love what? Stories, and we learn themes and stories and lessons and stories. Jesus spoke in parables because we were designed to uh, understand stories, and the story continues to teach. This is their story. They read the scriptures as a narrative, as a story, as a roadmap, because they had prophecy that said there was a promise to come. Who was coming? A redeemer. A king from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. So what they did is they, they investigated it. They, they sought the answers from it of how the story would continue. They would search it in a moment when things weren't working out and and they would look for clues. This is what was going on in the first century when they were reading the scriptures. They saw themselves as the generation for sh that this all would come true. Do you know why? Do you remember a study in Daniel? You remember that? How many people were here with Daniel? Okay. Do you remember when Daniel is asking the Lord at the end of the 70 year exile and he's praying and he's asking him, is 70 years enough for the restoration of Israel? What was the answer? No. Matter of fact, it's going to be 77s or 70 weeks or 490 years from the Babylonian exile to the time of the beginning of what? The true 
redemption, gathering the redeeming of Israel. What have we just seen at Pentecost, by the way? Let me just point that out, okay? 490 years. Well, guess what? From the Babylonian empire till now, it's somewhere between four and 500 years. Josephus actually says there was a feeling in the air at this time that a king would rise up out of Judah. Makes you understand why the wise men were seeking and searching this king who is to come. You can, you can feel the atmosphere, the expectation, the great. No wonder they were so concerned at Passover about because it was during these pilgrimage feasts that people would rise up claiming to be king. And so they were always, and they were always asking Jesus, who are you? Are you the Christ? And so you have this whole feeling. They studied, memorized, prayed over, and puzzled over many old texts. Texts which spoke of horrible things that would happen, but at a time when it would be reversed, God would bring a new place. This is the story of the Bible. So they were constantly looking for meaning in times of great stress and sorrow in the scriptures. This is why Peter could go back to Joel, because think about it. We don't understand. This sounds so crazy to start your first sermon by going back to Joel, okay? Honestly, like he's proving with Joel that he's not drunk. In our day, if we went back to Joel, they would think we were drunk. I mean, think about it. But this makes sense to them. I put, if we don't understand all this, it sounds really crazy to us today to think about answering an accusation of drunkenness by quoting Joel. To us, it might prove drunkenness, but to them, it was evidence of clarity. This all made sense to them. What is Joel? Joel, it, by the way, he's quoting Joel chapter two, if you want to write that in there, okay? Joel is prophesying in the middle of a great disaster. Let me just set that up. The first chapter of Joel, uh, by the way, we don't really know when the book of Joel is dated. Most people believe it's after the exile um, because he quotes many of the, old, the other prophets of the time. So we don't know um, when he's talking about armies coming in, which ones. Okay, but what he is talking about in Joel is that there has been a judgment on the people in chapter one of this devastating invasion of locusts, okay? And then there's a redemption. But then there's the idea in chapter two that something else is coming, possibly a great army. And he uses the description of the locusts to talk about this great army, both things representing the judgment of God for the sin that Israel is committing, which is always rebellion, a lack of trust. And so he is describing that to them. I thought this was interesting yesterday. I was talking to Professor Proverb and, um, and by the way, Job is telling them the only opportunity you have of this coming devastation that is going to be like the locust is to repent. 
repent and call on the name of the Lord because who can stop it? And so Professor Proverb was like, think about it, Shannon. How do you stop locusts? Who can stop it? I mean, think about it. Who can stop that? And that's what he's talking about in there. The judgment that is coming, this army is going to be like a locust, like a plague of locusts. Who can stop it? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. So repent. Uh, Professor Proverbs said this, because I can't say things like he does. A plague of locusts cannot be fought. It is an irresistible force. No weapon formed against it will prosper. One must hunker down, endure, and know that the plague will pass. And despite the ensuing devastation over time, the land will be replenished and health will return. As we understand Joel to say, it is like that with God's judgment. Consequences will be harsh, but the day of renewal is coming. The promise of God pouring out his people the promise of God pouring out his spirit on all flesh was one of hope and abundance and renewal. Perhaps on a similar note, there is a hint of how we are to resist the evil one. Principalities and powers are not invincible, but they are countered not by might nor by power, but by being filled with the spirit of God, walking in the spirit, leaning into his wisdom. I pondered that for a long time yesterday because this is the story of the prophets. God's judgment will come on rebellion. Repent, he will make things new. God's judgment is gonna come on rebellion, but what? Seek him and he will make things new. And Joel quotes Exodus, God is slow to anger, abounding in love. And he says, but there's coming a day. Well, God will bring judgment on all of the wickedness of this world. And part of that, will be, that redemption will be he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And that is what is going on. That is what is happening here because he goes on to say, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. You shall eat and plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord our God. That has always been the story of the Jewish narrative. The redemption narrative is that God's judgment will come, but there is coming a restoration. And when that great restoration happens, when he restores the nation of Israel, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. So they were familiar with all of this. And do you see that it's all flesh, right? What was the Old Testament way? God put his spirit on individuals. And who were those individuals usually? Priests, prophets, kings. But here he is pouring out, and Joel says one day there is coming a day where the spirit of God will be poured out on what? All flesh, right? All flesh, men, women, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, and, he, and what is Peter saying? What this is that you're seeing is what? It's that. What this is, is that. What Joel was talking about. This is what you're seeing. 
And remember, he's a Galilean. He's an everyday guy preaching this message to uh, these religious leaders who are like, oh, they're drunk. Really? Drunkenness usually doesn't come out as great clarity. No, this is clear. And I think it's interesting. I want to show you this because I'd never seen this before, which that's why I love the Bible. It's a treasure. It's like, oh, you search for treasures. Do you realize, okay, that this is something that Moses longed to see, that, that Joel foretold later that would happen. Look at Numbers 11. This is for you Bible geeks. But when you see the strings that hold this together all the way back from Numbers, going through Joel, and now coming to fruition at Pentecost, this should make you go, this Bible, this plan is marvelous, right? Numbers 11, 29. I'm just going to start in 26 so you know what's going on. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad. Glad we don't use those names. Eldad and Medad, your dad and my dad. <laughs> Sorry. And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. Like, what? The spirit of God filled them? these two, and they prophesied in the camp. They didn't go to the tabernacle. And Joshua, the son of Nan, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to camp. What is he saying? Oh, if only... If only God would put his spirit on all of them, right? If only. And what does Joel say in this prophecy? There is coming a day when the judgment of God in the end will be poured out on all wickedness and he will gather his people. And in that day, he will what? Pour out his spirit on all flesh. Men and women will prophesy in that day. It will all be made whole, brought together, restored. Men and women and slave and free and Jew and Gentile. He will pour out his spirit and they will begin to prophesy. What does that mean? They will know him intimately and they will faithfully what? Did y'all write that down? Speak his word. That is what we are called to do. And so what he is saying is in this, he's saying, what's going on here? This is that. People, this is what's happening. These are the beginning of the last days. So there's a period of time, right? The early Christians believe from the time of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, to the second coming are the what? Last days. 
the last days. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about when we were talking about stopping the locusts, right? Who can stop the judgment of God? Who can, who can stop that? No one. But doesn't it seem like when you hear about everything that's going on in the world, it just so seems the opposite. Who can stop that? Don't you get frustrated? With all that you see, all that is going on in Israel, and you watch the videos and all of the depravity that is going on, and you, and you get so frustrated because you're like, what? Well, what, what can I do about it? Finally, yesterday, I told Hillary, stop watching it. You've been through enough trauma. Let's just watch trauma after trauma after trauma. Well, we need to know. We can't do nothing. But then you think, but what do we do? What do we do? How can you stop this wickedness? And the fact is, God will come and make things right. If we learned anything, Daniel pulled back the veil, right? Last year and said, oh, it looks like they're winning, but they're not. I'm in control. And in the meantime, what is our job? We are infiltrating. Matter of fact, it says what? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Who's on the offensive? We are, but it's not gonna be through drawing the sword. And I don't know how to do that because if you come after my people, I have ammo, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I don't know how this works. I have ammo to defend the innocent, but really, the way we expand the church is by laying our life down. I'm hoping that if I lean into the spirit enough at any given moment, the spirit will work through me and will show me how to do that because it's super confusing to me. How, how do we go about doing that? And so, but there is coming a day that is called the great day of the Lord. And when you see in here that when he quotes Joel and he says, let me find it. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes in that great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is coming a day that great day, and surely there's signs in heaven and earth because heaven is coming to earth on that day in the second coming. And guess what? It's described as a cosmic event. If, if I taught you anything last year, I taught you prophetic language, did I not? Is the sun literally falling out of the sky? No, what this is talking about is that life as we know it it's, it's life-changing event. What we are seeing today is exactly what Jesus said we would see. It is the beasts of Daniel at his time that are parading over the innocent. And Jesus said, even when I ascend, what? They're going to continue to parade. There will be systems of antichrists that rise up because this is what we do. As human beings, we build empires 
and the wickedness thrives. And will it get worse? Yes. Why? Because the depravity of man gets worse? Maybe, I don't know. You go back in some of the ancient days and you see what they did to people. That's pretty depraved. You see what they're doing over in Israel? That's pretty wicked. Here's the difference. Now we have the ability. It's not that the depravity is worse. It is our tools. The things that we have in our hands. Our knowledge is more vast, which creates an opportunity for greater wickedness. Our tools. Well, the destruction that we can, our reach, right? But the fact is this, what? There is coming a day, the great day of the Lord. And heaven and earth will come together and he will come and judge. And who can stop the locust? Nobody. He will judge it. But he who cries out the Lord shall be what? Saved. And so what is happening here I'm right in the worst spot to stop. What is happening here is you are seeing this evidence of Joel coming to fruition. Drunk? No, we're not drunk. This is that that he's talking about. This bringing Israel back together and the beginning of something brand new. And it is happening when he pours his spirit onto all flesh, men and women and slave and free and Gentile and Jew. And he sends through the nation of Israel, he sends us out to all nations as temples in our language. And what did Jesus say? You think our relationship's coming to the end? You ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see much greater things than these because you're going to see this thing blown wide open. And that's what it is. But mankind will still what? Rage like beasts. But they can't stop us. Because if we lean into the spirit of God, that people will call on the name of the Lord and shall be saved. And we have a hope that one day what? That great and dreadful day of the Lord will come when nobody can stop. He is righteous and he will make things right. This is Peter preaching this. This has nothing to do with Babel. It's commotion, but it is clear. And he is saying, I'm going to prove to you who Jesus is. And what you are seeing right now is this promise that someone was coming. And I am telling you, this is evidence of that. And the only way the spirit could be poured out on all flesh is if what? He has come. And then he looks at them and he says, what you're seeing here is a, dire a direct result of the resurrection of Jesus. And the fact that he is now seated on the throne. And man, he's about to blow their minds because he is going to quote two Psalms that are unreal. And at the end of his sermon, they are going to be cut to their core. This is one of the most amazing sermons. I can't even get through it. All right. Are y'all moved? Because if you study Paul, he went to many regions and guess what was already there? Churches. 
Why? <clears throat> because the people that experienced Pentecost, they did just that. The Spirit filled them. And as the temple of God, they went back to all of the entire map of the world at that time. And they told people that Jesus was dead and now he is alive. That he has come and that he has ascended to the right hand. They announced, they heralded the kingdom. That is our purpose. Please don't lose sight of that. If you lose sight of your purpose, I don't know how you're going to live in this world today. It is that very purpose that keeps me alive. Go tell the world about him. Thank <laughs> you.